Now, let's jump into the Q&A. We've got uh, a lot of questions you guys sent in. We're going to handle as many of those as we can today, but we are limited in our time. And so we wanted to make sure that we addressed every question that you sent in. And so we're going to handle some of those today. But for all of the rest of the questions, we have already put together a written answer. And we we looked in God's Word, we prayed over it, and we wrote down answers. And if you're uh, watching online, there's going to be a link for you in the chat box. So make sure your chat box is open and you can go to the link to find those answers. If you're here today, if you'll open up your bulletin, in the center page of your bulletin, there is a QR code. Uh, If we're technologically challenged, the QR code is the little funny looking square with dots and squiggly lines on it. And you're going to take out your phone and you're going to open the camera and you're going to hold the camera up to that box. And it's going to take you straight to the web page where we've answered all those questions that we can't answer today. So make sure you check out those first. Now we've divided these into three categories. Uh, We're going to handle these first answers about our questions about theology. Theology is our understanding of God and our life with Him. Then we're going to answer some questions about the Bible specific. And then we're going to answer some questions about things that have to do with get well, church specifically. All right, so I'm going to uh, ask Hunter our first question today. Hunter, question that a lot of us wrestle with uh, all the time. Why do bad things happen to people and in the world in general, things like natural disasters and such? Yeah, so... uh, you know, I, I appreciate questions like this because I think it's something that if you've lived any amount of time in the world, uh, you know, the bad things tend to happen and it, we just kind of experience it. Um, and, you know, sometimes those things are, are really disappointing uh, and sometimes they're just absolutely devastating to us. But why do bad things happen? Simply put, uh, Scripture tells us that, that we live in a broken and fallen world. We look at Romans chapter 3, it tells us that. But being in a fallen and broken world, there are just things that this world is not paradise right? Um, there, there are things that people do, sins that they commit that have consequences on us as well. Um, Paul says in Romans 8 that even all of creation groans out uh, because of this curse that has been put on it by sin. There's nothing at all ever that hasn't been affected by it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just want to make a note here to, to say that, that God is not the author of bad things, I think that sometimes we want to be like, God, why, why have you done this? But, but that is not the truth. The truth is that God is a redeemer of those bad things. Uh, so when bad things tend to happen, uh, we, we want to ask the question, why, right? Uh, we want to say, God, why, why has this happened to me? Why has this happened to my loved ones? Why has this happened to, to those people? Maybe we've seen something on the news but what if instead our response wasn't why, but it was what? What if, what if we asked God, what, what is it that you're wanting to do through this situation? What is it that you're wanting to redeem? How do you want to use this? Uh, we know from Scripture that God is working all things out for the good of those who love him, right? And so if that's true, we need to kind of reframe. We need to be able to look and see that God is at work redeeming things, redeeming these situations uh, time and time again. Even, even the absolutely worst of things, God can redeem and work at. Um, Paul says in Romans 8.18, he says this, he says, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory God will reveal to us later. Um, you see, there's something greater than this world coming. There's something uh, greater on the horizon, and that's God's everlasting kingdom. 
Uh, and so for us, that's the hope that we can have. And so as we wait on this earth, as we continue to endure these bad things that happen, uh, there are greater things that are coming with God's kingdom and, and, and God is good. He's always at work redeeming. And so that's what we have to hold on to uh, when we think about why do bad things happen uh, to people and in the world. So uh, another question that came in for us, Jonathan, I'll throw this one to you. Um, is it a sin to be a homosexual? Um, and will I go to hell if I continue to practice homosexuality? Right. So let me just say on the front end, like this is uh, an extremely personal, it is extremely uh, potentially divisive, uh, difficult question in the world that we live in today. But it's not a question that's going away. And it is something that we need to be willing to and uh, be bold enough uh, as the church to wrestle with and wrestle with together. But what I want to do, knowing the, the complexity, the, the personal nature of this question, I want to answer this more as an invitation than just a blanket statement that I'm going to make from this platform. But I do want to offer some context to it first. So let me give the context. The biblical witness, you can read in Genesis, Leviticus, really all of the Old Testament, uh, the words of Jesus and the letters of Paul throughout Scripture, the biblical witness of marriage and sexuality is designed to be shared and experienced between a man and a woman. That's the biblical witness, the biblical truth. We also know this, the biblical witness about salvation, about heaven, about life with God, is that we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ, by God's grace alone. There's nothing that we will ever do to earn our way into God's love, into his mercy, into, into heaven, into eternity with God. It is a free gift of grace that we receive by faith in what Jesus Christ has done. We trust him and we follow him. All of life with God is driven by faith, by God's grace. Our hope of heaven is driven by faith. We enter into heaven by faith in Jesus. Uh, life with God that, that I and all of us can follow the leading of the Holy Spirit over my personal bodily desires is driven by faith. That I receive that empowerment by the Holy Spirit through grace. Uh, life transformation is empowered by faith in Jesus, received by God's grace, his Holy Spirit at work in me. And we hold those two things together. That there is a biblical witness of marriage uh, and sexuality to be experienced between a man and a woman, but, but no one is going to be able to authoritatively answer that I know where your eternity lies. You know, I cannot look within your heart that, that we have to hold on to. I, 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 experience eternal life with Jesus because I, I trust him and follow him with my life. That's the context. But here's the invitation. Is that I know that there are many things that, that make this a difficult reality. And what we would love to do is walk with you and wrestle with it with you. We want to encourage you. We want to support you. If this is something that is in your life or in the life of somebody that you know and love, uh, I, I think we need to be willing to go into the hard places with each other 
leading with love and grace rather than a platform but, and just be willing to walk with each other and, and love each other and say, I, I'm with you. And so that's what we want to do. Uh, I would love if, if this is something you're wrestling with in any way, uh, call me, email me, uh, find, you know, send a, a pigeon or whatever you got to do. Find a way uh, to get a hold of me or Hunter or any other leader and let's walk through this together. Leaning into the grace of God, but also leaning into the truth of God. And, and realizing that where God uh, leads us with his truth, he will also lead us with his grace and give us strength and courage to follow him, even when it's incredibly difficult and hard. And we want to encourage you and support you in that. And I, and I want you to hear this. Uh, what, any, we had another question about, can, are there any sins that can't be forgiven? And we talked about, it's a written answer. We talked about really the only thing that can't be forgiven is to reject Christ. And we can always come back to God in repentance and receive life in him. But I want you to hear this. Is that as it is with God, Get Well Church is for you. We want to see you experience all of the life to the fullest that God has for you. All of it. We want you to experience mission and purpose. We want you to experience grace and mercy and forgiveness. We want you to experience freedom from shame. And our world is really good at piling on shame. And we want you to experience freedom from that. Shame is not of God. He will convict us and move us. But he, he moves us with his love and his kindness and his compassion. And we are for you and want you to experience that. Uh, and I hope you hear my heart on that. That we really do, we're not, we, don't, this is, we answered this because we don't want to run away from it, but we want to invite you in, that we can wrestle with it with you and love you along the way. Um, really hard question, but thank you. We, we need as a church to be able, willing to wrestle with these things together. So another hard question. Absolutely. Hunter, uh, I'm going to get this off of me. I'm going to give you one now. Um, can I or my loved one lose salvation? Yeah, this is a, a great question, I think, uh, a good one to wrestle with, uh, too. So I think there are two angles we have to take uh, with this question that we have to look at. First is, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you're pursuing a relationship with him, then the truth is, is that you can have assurance of salvation. So if you're wrestling with this question, but you are in a relationship with Jesus, you can have assurance. And I wanna, I wanna give you some promises from scripture here. First one comes from Romans chapter eight, verses 38 and 39. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Scripture also, also tells us that we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. It comes from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, a seal, the, holy, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of God of his glory. Now here's the thing, those are promises from God and I can tell you what I know about our God is that he's a promise maker, but he's also a promise keeper. 
And so sometimes whenever we think about this, this assurance, sometimes we don't feel it. I don't know if you've <laughs> lived that in life. You don't always feel uh, that. But the truth is, is that we can time and time again come back to Scripture and hear those promises spoken to us. And so I encourage you, if you're wrestling with that question for yourself, go to Scripture. Find those promises. Hold on to them. Because if you are in a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are assured of your salvation. Which leads me to the second way that we have to look at the second angle to look at this uh, question. Because as we wrestle with Scripture, we also find that Scripture is very clear that we have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And so there's this process of sanctification that has to happen. And sanctification is just a big word for saying that we're becoming more and more like Jesus. It's that whole transformation of, of ourselves. And so as that happens, it may not totally happen this side of, of, of death, but, you know, it's something that we're working towards. But coupled with that idea of sanctification is the discipline of repentance. Repentance being that we're turning away from our sin and we're turning to God. So turn away from our sin, make a 180, and go back to, to God. Uh, the, the author of Hebrews, I love the book of Hebrews. It's, it's a fantastic read. There's so much gold in there. And the, the author, as he's writing, he, he tends to kind of pepper in these very stern and make you very uncomfortable warnings uh, for us. And in uh, Hebrews chapter 6, he warns that for us that salvation is a choice. It's something that we, we have to choose. He goes as far as to say that uh, there are believers who once were believers. They once were following God. They've tasted and they've seen how good and gracious God is. And yet now... They've chosen in, this, in these days to totally turn away, to walk away from God, to not even claim this. And he says, for them, it is impossible to bring them back to repentance. So what does this mean? When we look at the truth of who God is, as much as we, we love our loved ones, as much as, as sometimes we, we want for ourselves, the key here is repentance. All right? God is a gracious and good God. And as long as we return to him, we can always come and have that salvation. But it's a choice, right? It's a choice. It's something that we have to choose. And unfortunately, even for our loved ones, like it's a choice that they have to make. We can't make it for them. But it's a choice. And I, what I love is that it's a freedom of choice on both sides, right? Mm. So God, it's a choice in his love to offer us grace and forgiveness if we come to him in repentance. But it's also a choice on us that we have to make that decision for ourselves to come to him in, in repentance. And so can, can I or my loved one lose our salvation? Well, there's this assurance that comes for those of us who are pursuing this relationship with Jesus and, and living in that truth. And, and also we have to repent. So if you are far from Jesus and you're ready to come back, he's happy and willing with his arms open, ready to take you back always and forever. So those, those kind of wrap up our theology portion uh, this morning. But we had uh, lots of questions come in about heaven, yep. um, which are always good questions. And so uh, we're going to go to you for this first question is, what does the Bible say about uh, burial and cremation uh, when you pass away? All right. There are tons of questions about heaven, and we tried to um, put those together. So burial, cremation. Really, uh, as far as instruction, the Bible doesn't give any instruction about what we are to do regarding burial or cremation. 
Now, what we do get is a lot of insight and a lot of hints into the culture of Israel uh, from in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. We do get a picture that the preferred method uh, of dealing with the body after a person passes away for the people of Israel was burial. That that was culturally, that was what they did. There are no instructions from God and that this is what you are to do uh, or that this is the mandate. It's just seemed to be a cultural norm that we pick up through the stories of the people. However, uh, in the Bible and in church history, we see examples of people who are cremated without a punitive um, reprimand or discipline for doing that. Uh, One of them in the Bible was King Saul and his son, Jonathan. Uh, Saul and Jonathan are in battle. They are attacked by the Philistines and they are killed by the Philistines. And then the people of Israel uh, come and they get the bodies of Saul and Jonathan and they are cremated uh, after their death. A, A good biblical example in the life of the church, uh, particularly in the early life of the church under uh, Roman Emperor Nero, uh, massive persecution of the Christian people. And many, many, many times uh, after execution or as a part of execution, uh, the bodies were cremated uh, and doesn't seem to be, uh, from what we know of church history, uh, punitive uh, action or discipline uh, because of that. So really, why, why do we wrestle with this question? Well, I think at least one of the reasons, maybe the top reason that we ask this question, and we want to be faithful, but uh, can God and will God resurrect our bodies if we're cremated? Mm-hmm. And the answer is yes and yes, absolutely. Uh, that the power of God is not limited to the physical state of our bodies when Jesus comes again. I mean, not to be uh, gross about it, but Genesis chapter 3 verse 19 tells us that we came from dust and to dust our bodies will return. And over time, that's physically, literally what is happening. And whether we die a natural death or we die uh, a traumatic death and, and there are, you know, circumstances that dictate what we do, Uh, The power of God is not at all limited by the physical state of our bodies. When Jesus comes again, uh, we we are going to be resurrected, whatever the state, and every person is going to stand before God, and we will be judged. uh, The righteous, according to our faith, our trust in Christ, will enter into the new heavens and the new earth, and those who have rejected Jesus will uh, be cast out regardless of whatever the state of our physical body is at that time, Jesus is going to resurrect uh, every one of us. Yeah. So, all right, one more question about heaven. Yeah. Hunter, what happens when I die? Yeah. Now, what do we experience in heaven when we're talking about relationships or awareness or the reward we get for our faithfulness? Yeah, so to be honest, kind of like with burial and uh, cremation, there, there's not a lot uh, said in the Bible about what happens after we die. But, you know, there are a few things that we can glean uh, from Scripture. The first is this, is that when we die, we're taken into the presence of Jesus 
in heaven. And that's this side of the cross. For me, the key verse comes when Jesus is talking to uh, the criminal beside him on the cross. He says, truly, I say to you today, you shall be with me in paradise. Now, this word paradise that's used there has this meaning, this root meaning. It goes back to garden. And if you remember the very first man and woman, Adam and Eve, right in the Garden of Eden, they eat of the forbidden fruit. And what happens? They're cast out of the presence of God. And what we see is that because of Jesus' blood, because of his sacrifice for our sin that covers us, that gives us forgiveness, when we die, we are taken into the very presence of God yet again and permanently. It's not something that only happens temporarily, but it is very permanent. Uh, Revelation even speaks of uh, seeing the saints gathered around the throne of God, singing and praising him uh, forever. Uh, but here's the thing, and, and just to remind us of this, heaven isn't the end, though. I think a lot of times we live as if it is, but heaven isn't the end. If we just did a whole sermon series on the thread of Christ through the Bible. We started with creation, and then we ended with the second coming of Jesus, which ushers in the new heavens and the new earth, right? Uh, that's the time when, when our, we will be resurrected, right, from the dead. Um, and we'll be in the new heavens and the new earth with, with Jesus and God. Uh, it will truly will be paradise uh, forever. Uh, I was teaching a class one time of, of sixth graders. And one of the girls in the class asked, will there be softball in heaven? And I said, well, that's such a good question. She said, because look, if there's not, I'm really not sure that I want to go there. And I went, whoo, all right. Uh, sixth graders ask good questions, by the way. I, I love it. Um, but the thing that we have to remember is that this new heaven and the new earth where we will be forever with God, things will be perfect. I mean, I, and we look at the world today and there are some things that, that we enjoy. We love about this earth, right? Uh, but it pales in comparison to what's coming in, in God's kingdom. Absolutely pales in comparison and, and, and things will just be perfect. And as they were meant to be, uh, I think that, you know, when we look at God creating the heavens and the earth in Genesis 1, he creates these things and each time he says it is good. So I have no, I have no problems with saying that this new heaven, and this new earth, it will be full of the things that God created and said uh, were good. Um, and that's great. And so when it comes to questions like, will, will we recognize one another in heaven, uh, especially our loved ones? That's a good question. I don't know. Yeah, sure. Um, I think that's, that's fine. Uh, do our loved ones see us from heaven? Once again, I, I don't know. Uh, those are good questions. And you know, when we join them, uh, then we will get the answers uh, for that. And that will be great. Uh, but one thing that I do want to address is the idea of rewards. Because uh, I do think scripture talks about this in several places. It's something that I think we wrestle with some too. Um, there are two Two things, two ways that the Bible views uh, rewards are, are deeds here on earth. Um, two categories. One is positive and one is negative. The positive is faithfulness. Faithfulness is rewarded favorably. Uh, negatively, uh, that's disobedience is, is rewarded, uh, as you can imagine, not, not as favorably. Um, but the truth is, is that faithfulness is this outward display of an inward uh, obedience to God. Uh, but for those who've been dis disobedient, those who've gone their own way and decided to, to do their own thing, uh, they'll receive the, uh, a, a reward for their worthless deeds as well, and that's eternal life without God. And that's, that's not something we want for ourselves. That's not something we want for, for anyone, uh, I would hope. 
Um, and so when Jesus talks about in um, the Sermon on the Mount, there's this one phrase where he talks about, uh, blessed are those who are persecuted, for great will be the reward. It does kind of seem like maybe there's some varying degree here, uh, and I'm wrapping up. Uh, y'all, if we get to heaven and, and someone who's been brutally persecuted and their reward is greater than mine, I am not going to care at all. Honestly, I'm probably going to celebrate that more over because of their faithfulness. And so if that's the truth, that's fine. I don't think that we're going to care at all. And so that's kind of my take yeah. on, on this question. So let's move into uh, quickly some, some questions specific to GetWell. The first one was okay. this, Jonathan. Uh, why does GetWell not have people of other races on staff? And uh, is it important, does it matter that, that we match or don't match the diversity of our community? So we actually had a couple of people send in this question, and I'm, I'm going to tell you, I love this question because this gives us an opportunity to share with you our heart and our prayers for the church universal and for Getwell Church. Uh, our staff is not racially diverse. We don't have a single person on our staff uh, that is not white, and that's just the reality. Uh, and we recognize that when you're talking about church, uh, at least in the Western context in America, and you're talking about experiences of worship, we have different expectations across different races and cultures about what uh, worship looks like. And we have uh, different life experiences. Uh, we have different things that, that we're working through contextually in our uh, environments and in our families and in our culture. I mean, that's not hard to see right now. Uh, but at the same time, I, I really see a huge, huge value if the church and Getwell Church can move toward uh, being diverse in every way, racially diverse, culturally diverse, economically diverse. Uh, and, and here's why. There's three reasons that I want to lift up of why I think uh, we, we should be moving that direction. And the first, I mean, these are, these are biblically uh, rooted. The first is this, is that Jesus, when he died and he rose again, he destroyed all divisions. Mm -hmm. You know, that our primary identity is that in Christ, I'm a child of God. I'm inheriting what belongs to Christ and that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, Paul says there's no, no longer, you know, Jew or Greek uh, the, the hostility line that divided people has been broken down because of what Jesus has done, that we are one people in Christ. And that, that is a foundational reason for us to embrace. And, and it's not uh, ignoring differences. It's recognizing them and celebrating them and experiencing them together so that we can have a greater understanding of who God is because God is the creator of all those things. So that's the first reason. Uh, I think a second reason is that we need to understand that we can, we're, we can learn from one another and we're better together than we are alone. Listen, it is just not good for us to do our, our entire life with only people that look like us. And every one of us, myself included, we, we tend to have blind spots that are driven by fear. They're driven by pride. They're driven by a lack of understanding and experience. And we don't know what we don't know. 
And we need to be doing life with people who have different experiences so that we can come together with a biblical worldview uh, driven by what Christ has done and say, how do we learn from one another? How do we encourage each other? How do we support each other to do life, to follow Jesus better together? And then this is the third reason. And and this is very important. Guys, the world is watching. The world is watching the church. And our world is crying for hope. They're crying for peace. They're crying for unity. And the people that are driving the narrative, I really believe, are saying that they're looking for hope and peace and and unity. But there seem to be other motivations at work. And the church needs to be leading the way in this conversation. And here's why. Is that Jesus and only Jesus can really bring the unity that we are looking for. It's not a government. It's not a media. It's not an economic system. It's not programs. It is Jesus Christ who breaks down the walls of division that can bring unity. And the world is looking for us to lead the way. And and so we've got to be starting to take intentional steps to do that. Now, right now, our staff is not a a very diverse staff outside of we have men and women. uh, We've got different life experiences. We come from different backgrounds. But other than that, we're not a very diverse group. But we want to be and we're praying to be. Uh, You probably don't know that we've actually made efforts in the recent past to become a more diverse staff. And we've made offers uh, and invitations to people to join our team. And just the timing has not worked out. We were joined in heart. We were joined in mission. We see the, the call of Christ the same. Just the timing and circumstances have not worked out for us uh, to be able to make it work. But we want to. We're praying to. And we want you to join us in that prayer. But here's what is equally, if, if, if not more important. I hope and I pray and I trust that Getwell is already a place that is welcoming and loving and invitational and we, we want to, to love on people together and do life together. Um, but we can always, well, looking around the room, we can do it better. We can do it better. And whatever happens on our staff of being racially diverse, if it is not reflective of what's happening in, in our church, then it is not genuine and it's not authentic. Now, do we need to be leading the way as leaders of the church? Absolutely. And, and we're praying through that because in, in doing that, we don't want to just do it to do it. We want to do it well. We want to do it with wisdom. We want to do it with integrity that we have good, godly, faithful leaders of the church who are joined in the mission, uh, who can lead us well. We want to do that. But it has to be reflected in who we are. And so here's my challenge and my prayer is that we as a church, uh, myself and Hunter included, every one of us, will be intentional about let's build friendships with people who don't look like us. Yep. Let's open the door. Let's get out. You know, how many of us, I just think about, you know, the, our neighborhoods. You know, what happened to the front porch? Right? Like we built our fences. We go on our back porch. We close the gate. And it's by invitation only. If you get to do life with me, let's change that. Let's change that narrative. And as a church, let's get to know our neighbors. Let's get to know the people we work with. Let's get to know the people we go to school with that don't look like us. And celebrate it and embrace it because we might learn something. 
uh, and we might be able to teach them something. We might can be encouraged, and we can encourage, uh, and we can uh, share Christ with one another and together share Christ to others. Uh, so very critically important. So please pray with us uh, that we don't do it haphazardly, we don't do it recklessly, that we do it with integrity. With, this is, the goal is not to be racially diverse. The goal is to live out the gospel. Please, we, we have to put that at the foundation. But we can do it together. Uh, I think we can reach this world together better if we'll embrace that diversity of sharing the gospel. So let's pray through that together, that God will lead us, that the Holy Spirit will orchestrate opportunities, and we can step through those doors, uh, not forcing it, but responding to it. And let's see what God's going to do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, last question here uh, for today. Um, is what does Getwell Church believe about baptism, especially regarding infants? Really important question. Uh, comes up a lot. What do we believe about baptism? So what is baptism? Baptism is a sacrament, uh, meaning that it is uh, one of the acts that Jesus has commanded us to do as the body of Christ, the other one being Holy Communion. Uh, the sacraments are, along with another, uh, a larger group of uh, things that God has given us, called a means of grace. These are ways that God physically moves in our life to give us grace to move in our lives. Uh, so, so baptism is a sacrament instituted by God. Uh, it's a means of grace. It is the moment where I declare that I want to follow Jesus uh, not because my parents want to, not because my church wants me to, but because I want to. I'm making a declaration of faith. It is also an initiation into the body of Christ where we're bringing uh, you in as a member, as a part of the body. And it is a mysterious act by which the, the grace of God is at work in the waters of baptism. You know, you, you die to self and you are risen up to life with Christ. Uh, so we, we hold those together. Now, for us at Getwell Church, here's what we do. We practice believer baptism, meaning you are of age to make your declaration that you want to follow Jesus. But we will accept any Christian baptism. So what I'm saying is, if you come to us, you want to be baptized, you need to be of age, have the responsibility, ability to say, I want to follow Jesus. But if you're coming from another Christian denomination and you've already been baptized, we're not going to force you to be baptized again. We'll receive that. Uh, there's a biblical reason for that. Acts chapter, uh, Acts, a couple of different examples. And in uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, we see whole families baptized when a believer, when a person comes to Christ and says, I want to uh, follow Jesus. The other thing is that we're, we're not willing as leaders to say, here's the box that God's grace can operate in and only within that box. You know, we don't know what the grace of God uh, is, is going to do or has done in your baptism. And we know that you're not saved by baptism. Your salvation comes by faith in Christ. Scripture teaches, if you will confess with your mouth and trust with your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. And so we hold on to that. And really the reason that we only practice believer baptism is a practical reason and that we had so many teenagers and adults who were coming to us and said, I was baptized as an infant, but now I don't know how to make sense of that because I haven't been following Jesus. Uh, and maybe in many instances, quite frankly, you know, I haven't been brought up to follow Jesus regardless of whatever commitment was made. And now I want to follow Jesus and I don't know how to make sense of this. Or, you know, confusion about, you know, it, 
what does this mean in my life? And so we wanted to simplify it and say, this is what we will practice so that you understand you've got to make a declaration that I will follow Jesus. And then we celebrate that and we celebrate it big. And we, we honor it and we know that heaven's rejoicing. But we'll receive that baptism because of the biblical witness, because of God's grace. Uh, and we're not going to you know, be a hammer. Um, but what we will do is this, is together uh, we're going to chase after Christ. And we're gonna, what we're going to focus on is the gospel. And what we're going to focus on is telling people about Jesus. And that God has a plan for you and a hope for you that's in Jesus. And he wants you to have eternal life that's only found in him. It's not in, just in a church or in an act or in a ritual. Life is in Jesus. And we want the Holy Spirit to be living in you. And we're going to focus on that and put our energy in that. And we'll continue to. So let's continue to do that together. So thank you, thank you, thank you for all of these questions. Thank you for all the questions that you sent in that we could not get into here, but we've written online. Make sure you go check those out. Uh, we're about to close out. So if you'll stand together. Remember that we're going to continue to uh, wrestle with uh, questions and issues of our world starting next week with our Catalyst series. And here's my invitation today, is that whether one of these questions were your question or not, uh, there, we all have to wrestle with our faith. Scripture tells us that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And we have to continue to take step after step after step after, after Christ. Maybe you have, you're listening about baptism and you're like, well, I haven't been baptized and I want to follow Jesus. And that could be a step for you. Love to talk to you about that. Uh, maybe you're here and you're hearing all this stuff and, and you've got questions about heaven and salvation and, and you just need somebody to hold your hand and walk with you because you're wrestling with God's call on you. Love to have that conversation with you. Maybe uh, you're here and you realize, you know what, I haven't ever really committed to follow Jesus. I've committed to church membership or I did an, a ritual or I did whatever. I've never really committed to go all in with Jesus. Love to have that conversation with you. Love to pray with you. Whatever's going on in your life, today, like every other day, these altar rails are open. If you'd like to come and pray about anything, uh, do that. If you want us to pray with you, just wave us on over. Uh, today might be the day that you step into brand new life or that you're encouraged to, to take a step of faithfulness or that God leads you uh, on His purposes for you. Don't miss that. Uh, so as we sing, if the Spirit prompts you, come and pray uh, at home. If the Spirit prompts you, come and pray. But I'm going to pray for us now, and then we're going to sing one more time together. Uh, so let's go to the Lord. God, we love you, and we, we praise you. We celebrate who you are, and we thank you, God, that you are faithful and true and good. And whatever our questions, our doubts, our struggles are, you are always leaning into us with grace. God, even as we respond to you, it is because your grace has enabled us to respond to you and you've been moving toward us first. Thank you. Thank you for the hope of heaven. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for uh, the work of Jesus. God, let us focus everything 
and on what Jesus has done and the mission he's given us. Empower us, live in us through the Holy Spirit. Give us the assurance of the hope we have. God, let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus when the world is broken and hurting. God, let us not uh, come with anger or bitterness, but come with compassion and kindness and love and clarity and just love people and point them to the truth of the gospel, the truth of Jesus. God, help us to be your hands and feet in this world. God, so many things that we, we are begging you to do, and most and foremost, all of, above all of it, Lord, is that whatever we do, let us stay in step with you. Let the Holy Spirit drive us, Lord. We do not want to be a church that does ministry without the Holy Spirit. We want the Holy Spirit driving everything we do, and we beg you, Lord, to do that. Uh, we are begging you for your Spirit to live in and through every one of us. If there's a step that needs to be taken today, Lord, for salvation or recommitment or repentance or we need encouragement or we, are, we, we need comfort or we need answers, Lord, we, I pray that we will come to you and we'll bow before you because you tell us if we will ask, you will give. God, and we trust you at your word. So we'll come to you, Lord, and we praise you. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.